Pray with me, please. Merciful God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come now, Spirit of God, inhabit this place like you have for 300 years. Um, This space from the Atlantic, from the bay, inland to the rivers, bounded by Cape Fear to the north and the Santee to the south. Come, Lord, in great power and might. We've come today to hear from you. Speak, Lord, for your servants long to hear. Amen. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. I think those verses need to come with a disclaimer. It sounds like great news, doesn't it? Have you ever been part of a prayer team? Have you ever been on a Holy Spirit weekend or on a renewal weekend? This verse of scripture gets quoted often the Lord will pour out his spirit on all flesh good news good news but I think it needs to come with a warning warning God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh that will repent and receive his spirit I'll get to that in a minute this moment in our Joel reading this moment in our Joel study as we're going through Lent is what's called today or in today's vernacular known as a pivot point What God says is, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit. The afterward he's referring to is all of the devastation that we've heard preached and read from the previous two readers. There was a massacre of God's people. There was a horde of locusts that wouldn't go away. Think about the worst times in your life. I'm looking at someone who's a friend who's going through a very, very dark and difficult time. A time not unlike invading armies coming into their life. A time not unlike a herd of locusts eating all of the crops time in their life. This is a tipping point or a pivot point. And it's significant because up to this point in our Joel passage, what God has done and what we may not be aware of is he's only given his spirit to particular people at particular times at particular places that's why this is so groundbreaking this is why such good news at this point in the books of the Bible God's spirit was only given to particular people at particular times in particular places his spirit was not poured out for all people And today we hear in our reading Joel announcing this good news. Not good news, but great news. Like I said, after this horrible decimation by invading armies, after the enemies of God have taken their advantages of the people of Israel, God's new plan, or actually that's not true, that's actually heretical. God's continual plan of rescue and redemption for his creation is not that he's going to rub the noses of the people of Israel in their sin. He's not going to kick them while they're down. You know, God's mercy always precedes God's law. God's mercy always precedes God's law. And so what God's going to do, or what it seems like the unfolding of his plan is about, is that he's going to now, or at some point in the near future, pour out his spirit on all people. 
the spirit-driven plan is a plan for the people of Israel and for us today that intends to do us good. Remember, it comes with a warning. This spirit-pouring plan of God's intends to do us good, not harm. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans for you, each and every one of us, seated here today, God says, For I know the plans for you, Prince George Wenyong, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's spirit-driven plan is that. And we need to remember that at some point, if we allow him, at some point in our lives, it may have already happened at some point in the future, it could happen again, God will pour his spirit on all mankind as a saving sign of his presence in our lives. Did we hear that? His Holy Spirit being poured into our lives is the saving sign of his presence in our lives. That's huge. Ramsey spoke on Sunday about the temple being the sign of God's presence, remember? And Ramsey took us back to Exodus and to Numbers to make the point that the temple was built in a specific way with specific dimensions so that a specific holy God could dwell with his people, could tabernacle with his people enveiled semi-privacy. God was only available to the priest that went into the Holy of Holies, and then the priest wouldn't still look at him, lest he die. But God's presence was available in that temple, Ramsey said. Now, today, thousands of years later, God is providing a more tangible means to help us stay connected to him, to stay in his presence. And here's a bonus to help us keep up our end of the covenant. You know, the covenant God makes to be with his people is a two-way covenant. When we receive the covenant through Abraham, we agree we want to be in his presence too. But time and time again, we choose so many other things instead of God. We put other things in the place of God. We go against the first commandment that we heard Rob read this morning. Lent's for that lens here for that reason to remind us that we don't always put God first. Well, the bonus of the Holy Spirit is that he enables us, he helps us keep up our end of the promise, but it's God's promise. And we must remember that God's promise is always rooted, as Ramsey drove home the point, in a relationship. It's us and God, and I don't want to like this image, but it's us and Jesus holding hands. It's us and Jesus all the way. It's a relationship. And now here in Joel at this pivot point, we hear that God, he declares that he himself will pour himself out for all people. Later we learn in Jesus just what that promise really looks like. Later we learn that the pouring out promise that God makes takes the shape of God completely draining himself of human life. His spirit being poured out, brothers and sisters, is definitely not a measured, neat, orderly, prim and proper kind of pouring. Did you hear that? God pouring his spirit out is not some beautifully measured, completely neat, without a drop spilled, measured out pouring of himself. No, God pouring himself out for us is a sloppy, bloody mess that drips down from a cross, that falls into the soil, 
that passers-by make fun of. God's pouring himself out for us looks like God giving up his life on the cross. God totally emptying himself for us. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, seated next to his father. We just saw Oprah interview, I didn't see it, but it's all I've heard about for two days. Oprah interviewed two members of the royal family. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the real one, seated next to God the Father in all of his finery, however you like picturing King Jesus. He did not count that equality with his father a thing to be clung to. But Jesus stands up in heaven, takes off his royalty, comes down to earth and takes the form of a servant being born in our likeness. And then he climbs up on a cross and empties himself out for us all the way to the end. God pouring out his spirit is exactly what Jesus does from the cross. It is, to quote Mike Lumpkin, the penultimate day of the Lord. Mike Lumpkin spoke about that word penultimate. It means next to last, or in this case, the best day of all times, the next to the greatest day of all times. Jesus coming again, brothers and sisters, will be the ultimate day. The promise kept. Jesus, our Savior, walking down Broad Street, coming off 17, coming from the skies, Jesus coming will be the best day of all. But for now, and until the day that Jesus returns, God's Spirit being poured out is the sign that his salvation has come to the world. Lives being changed, lives being moved toward a place of being poured out for others. I'll tell you a quick funny story and I'll close. Because when we pour ourselves out of our own flesh, the result will always be exhaustion, it will always be irritation, and it will always be resentment. When we pour ourselves out from what God has poured into us, The result will seem like a parade on Screven Street on Saturday, or it will seem like a pumpkin patch sales, or it will seem like an oyster roast where people came later to help clean up who didn't even come to the oyster roast. Nobody fatigued, nobody resentful, nobody angry. I had a professor in seminary who took a call to go to Africa, northern Africa, dangerous Africa, Grant Lamarcon. His wife was a physician. They had a lovely well put together prim and proper life in Sewickley, Pennsylvania. And they decided in their 60s they were called to Africa. And so word went out around the seminary, come help Grant and Wendy, that was their name, move out of their house, get packed up so they can send everything to Canada where they were from and eventually get some of it to Africa. They were making this huge sacrifice, huge. Well, I showed up mostly just to get credit. I'll confess, I mostly showed up so that I'd get an A or a B in, in, in Professor Lamarcon's class. I'm like, I'm here, Professor. I know my papers aren't that good, but I'm moving your books. I mean, that's probably why I went. Well, as God would have it, only one other guy showed up. And one of the professors who had on a headband, sweatbands, knee braces, one of those things they wear in Home Depot if you lift too much so you don't hurt your back, he showed up looking like he should be in traction. And I remember asking the professor, what are you doing here? You can't lift any. We were going to move furniture and books and everything. What are you doing here? He said, oh, I thought I'd drive the van. I was like, thanks. So here we go, moving furniture out, moving moving couches out, moving all kinds of stuff. And I, I get a little exasperated because I'm pouring myself out of my own strength. And I look at Wendy and I say, Wendy, trying to be connective, I say, I can't imagine 
that you guys have decided that this is what God's called you to do, to move from Sewickley and go to Africa. I thought moving from Somerville to Pittsburgh was a big sacrifice. You know, here you are moving from Pittsburgh to Africa now. Uh, what a sacrifice. By the way, there was no air conditioning in the house. It was the middle of August. It was hot as blazes. And I was sweating like crazy as I was telling her all this. I'll never forget, Wendy Lamarcon looked up at me with the sweetest doctor face you can imagine and said, Gary, isn't it great to be poured out for the Lord? And I wanted to look at Wendy and go, no! It's exhausting, it's tiring, it's blah, 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 blah. What I've come to realize is when that is the case, I'm not being poured out for the Lord. When you can sit there like Wendy Lamarcon and realize that God has got it, that God has called that it's time to go to Africa, that you're moving in his spirit is a sign of God's salvation to the world, then yes, yes, it is a great thing to be poured out for the Lord. Thanks, Wendy Lamarcon. Lastly, the only thing we can give God in exchange for his spirit, this is the best news of all, the only thing we can give God in exchange for his spirit today, this Sunday, and forever is our sin brothers and sisters. What our Lord wants us to give him is not our goodness or our honesty or our efforts to do better. Thank you, Lent, for the reminder. No, all God wants in exchange for his spirit is our sin. He just simply wants us to confess it, hand it to him, and he'll exchange it for this supernatural power that raises people from the dead. So here today, the promise made in Joel to the people of Israel is the same covenantal promise we have today. Receive his Holy Spirit today. Come forward in communion, in repentance. Be baptized in God's forgiveness and mercy today and every day. Amen.